This is Shaka Wart Speak. Guess who's back? Guess who's back? Are we recording? Yeah, we are. Okay, good. We're always recording something. So we're here with Dr. Snacks Mill. What's up? And Cody, twice as nice, Cody Spice. That's right. Cody has gained a couple pounds from lunch. That's not true. <laughs> not true at all. <laughs> Cody loses weight when he eats. That's probably true. That might be true. It is, it is, and I gain the weight he loses. It so that's is why infuriating. I yeah, it bugs me. I'm jealous. <clears throat> Happy for you, Cody. Yeah, we're excited about you, Cody. I'm here to um, you to sort of equalize the average weight of all three people here. Thank you. We appreciate that, man. <laughs> yeah. Like that's a very like low key day. Wait till we're visual. That's a very hard. Yeah. Wait till day. you're visual. You'll under you'll understand what he's <laughs> implying, but maybe not. Um, so. Uh, yeah, we're back with part three. Yes. Saturation part three. In a world permeated by stuff. Um, so, yeah. But, yeah. So, Cody, what do you got, man? Summarize, summarize or what are, we, what are we talking about today? How are we? How are we, where, where, do we where do we leave off? Yeah, so we are picking up. Um, Just got to check my thoughts and think about that. Um, so we're picking up from the end of our last episode where we kind of stopped with a few questions, mm-hmm. a few questions and a few observations. Um, Ryan, you had noted that everyone is kind of looking for a place, a purpose, a value, relationships, and know-how and ability. Mm-hmm. And all of those seem to be components to a certain sort of necessary conditions to a certain type of human flourishing. Mm-hmm. And we talked about how we fail to achieve or obtain or just don't have access to a lot of those components. So amidst the conversation of trying to determine like what our purpose is, what we're living for, we end up turning achieving those necessities for living into the actual point of living. Yeah, so then people like Miley Cyrus, right? It's not the goal, it's the climb. Exactly. You get that yeah. journey, not destination. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, or you just get that sort of really discouraging feeling that you're always trying to... <clears throat> Just get to a place in your life where you can even begin start asking the question, so what's my life for? Yeah. And so we we make that the point, mm-hmm. either consciously or subconsciously. Um, and the relationship to that, to the the uh, prior conversation, like the, the setup to that, which was um, that, you know, when we angle towards things, uh, objects, relationships, or charge things mm-hmm. with uh, consciously or especially subconsciously bearing the weight of 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 um bringing about these expectations they tend to buckle under that weight yeah so great art can buckle under the weight of being tasked with being ultimate mm-hmm. <clears throat> and we tend to see um a kind of a uh, a litmus test for when this is happening is when you start to see a kind of ubiquity mm-hmm. a kind of saturation to um a, a mode of expression or it could be in the realm of like who is curated for shows and who is not. Mm-hmm. So it could be the people. It could be certain ideas. It could be um, the way th- the way things are marketed to us. Like, so I would say we're we're uh, in a saturation point right now uh, regarding many things, and you're seeing it to where even corporate America is is like jumping in and you know marketing things a certain way. And <clears throat> and you know I'm not even saying uh, anything about what is marketed, just to say that uh, saturation point gives us a, a kind of a sense of like the buckling of something yeah. Um, that, that actually, and so it, depending on how you're, you know, you're reading the data, you know, you may think, Oh, this is, this is a good sign for me. 
to be doing these X, Y, and Z or partaking in these things. And, um, and, uh, not always, not for everybody, of course, but we speak in big, big generalities. The ubiquity leads us to believe that it's, that it's a, you know, kind of a positive. And of course, not everybody is, um, a hundred percent equally doing mm-hmm. things the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have to speak in generalities in order to um, just to make make certain points and let them apply, right? Yeah. So if you're sitting there and you're going, "Well, that's not me," well, it may not be, mm-hmm. but um, consider consider it where it seems most relevant to you, because to talk meticulously uh, with regards to particulars would take years. Oh yeah. Actually, to be a, to to successfully account for everything, so, mm-hmm. so of course we don't have that kind of time, right, guys? So, um, but the idea is that uh, you know. You look at the industrial revolution and the fascination with movement. I'm not saying that's bad, mm-hmm. but uh, but I am saying that um, that took its course to the point that it becomes a ubiquity, becomes a given, and then it starts to run its course and buckle to the point that we are no longer in mm-hmm. fascination with that at all. Like we're like, get me out of here. Uh, there's got to be something else. Um, you know, we're reading a book that's talking, um, making connections between like how rivers were the central way of delivering goods and services and how roads became and highways became uh, replace that. And then if you, you know, and so you look at these highways as the ways that goods are transported, life is uh, enabled and uh, almost nobody knows any, any rivers really because you don't think about them as central. They've become a luxury mm-hmm. or a kind of um, an, uh, a sort of fringe, option for leisure mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, that doesn't even require you to be aware. So we know like, like author was saying, we know the, that was Andy Crouch. We know the Mississippi, but we don't, you know, you may not even be able to find it on a map. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I think that that may be true. And then, and then you think about the, the significance of like the internet highways, like, mm-hmm. like as like the thing after highways that yeah. is actually now doing, you know, doing heavy lifting, heavy lifting. Well, it's a, it's a funny thought because, you think about how many people used to know the names of rivers and the locations when those were major transportation systems. Mm-hmm. And then the roads and the highways get invented. Our focus shifts over those. Mm-hmm. Um, how many people don't know the name of any roads right. because they use GPS? Correct. Because the majority of their time is spent navigating yeah. maybe a virtual world yeah. or virtual information highways. And so that's the focus. Mm-hmm. And we've developed some technologies that allow those other things to sort of fade into the background of our assumptions about just yeah. how the world's working. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so there's so many ways to talk about what we talked about last week, you know, in, yeah. in, in, in particular, particularize it. Like you can, you can see this. I look at, I like some of the Marvel movies, but there comes that ubiquity point or that saturation point where you're like, we got to slow down on superhero films because you start to take them for granted. They, they don't hold the same significance. How many times can you see these characters do the same thing yeah. before you lose interest? And, you know, you have uh, quote unquote smart people trying to really angle for that and figure out how much money can we can make in a certain amount of time before we can no longer offer these goods, goods and services. Mm-hmm. And then we lock them away for a while and bring them yeah. back later. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, you have economies built on um, what was our author's. Uh, I'm just forgetting. I'm drawing a blank on the author we opened with in the first episode. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, David Foster Wallace. Yeah, Foster yep. Wallace is every everyone worships. Mm-hmm. Um, you, our economy, and even our global economy, is banking on this fact. Is banking on it. Like how many, how many, you know, self help books. How many diet fad diets. How many, like if you just start asking the question, 
a lot of um, a lot of money is made on our longing for which categories of a place of uh, sign a place a place a sense of place meaning you know a place of significance could be a home a community um, a place where you are recognized so mm -hmm. you're known so you're validated. You know, that you have validation. I, I am worthy because. Mm -hmm. um, and security, I would say, we, we want security. So, like, we do things to obtain to health security, mental security, home security. Mm -hmm. Like, if you keep walking through this, everybody wants to feel safe, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so what are the other ones that... So we have a place, purpose, value, relationships, and then know-how or ability. Yeah. So you want... So, so you, we, you know, it's like... We want to know how to play the piano. We want to know how to play guitar. We want to know how to cut wood. If you look at YouTube, YouTube is built out of marketing uh, for know-how. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying this is bad, by the way. Yeah, what yeah. I'm trying to say is as a diagnostic, yeah. it speaks to something that impacts a large percentage of people across the planet. Um, uh, keeping in mind uh, very diverse differences when it comes to particular pe uh, regions of the world where, where people don't operate the same way in a kind of a westernized system. But yeah. nonetheless, people have, they still have this strong, you know, if you have like, if you're like thinking about tribes in the rainforest or people in the rainforest, like they still have a identity association. Mm -hmm. They have uh, tribal ritualistic practices. Um, so a sense of place, a sense of purpose. Oftentimes there's rite of passage mm -hmm. um, actions that are, mm -hmm. that are developed to create a narrative of coming from one point to another. So you look at, you know, you look at it from that standpoint, our rite of passage really in, in a ritualistic way is public education in a lot of ways. Mm, so yeah. we come up through school and then the rite of passage is, well, it used to be that college was an option, but college is really assumed as a given. Mm -hmm. You know, so people assume it as a given. It's like, I got to go to college and that's my rite of passage. And then ceremonially, you've crossed over and, you know, in a way into some other level of uh, responsibility. You've be, you have been confirmed. Yeah as something now so you are a bfa in art you are a bs in science or it's, it's, that's really funny because if you think about just if we if we hold to those those pieces that we're looking for if you go to college you're going to a place so once you come out of that you get an association with the place yep that you went to, mm -hmm. you get value because you have a degree that says you've obtained or you've achieved a certain amount of education yep. during the time of your education. You've hopefully built out relationships with other people. Um, so you can get letters of recommendations from professors. You know, I know people who been graduated from college for a real long time and they have close, close relationships mm -hmm. with, you know, people that they went to mm -hmm. school with. Yeah. Um, the hope is that you'd graduate with some know-how or ability um, so it, it's funny, uniquely, just as a sort of an aside, how much college might be assumed to sort of give you and accomplish a lot of those things. Right. But I think also you get to a place where you start talking about like how certain things can't bear the weight <clears throat> of those promises. Um, and I mean, just just like, you know, think back to, you know, yourself, maybe as a listener or friends you had or people, you know, or anybody who, you know, might say like, hey, I'm. I got X number of dollars in student loan debt and this is all I got. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's, it's, That's it's a almost a trope, refrain. right? Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. you hear it a lot yeah. uh, because they don't see there's the, the value of the thing uh, can so easily uh, be minimized mm -hmm. because the other things around it show it to be very small and really not, um, not a place of strength. Yeah. Um, as, as, as we tend to think that it is. Um, 
and you know increasingly more so I yeah. think in a lot of ways yeah, yeah yeah i think you find so i mean and that and if we track like that like there is a a point where there there wasn't a saturation point with college being a given and so so there was um you know there's less like so there was a time where like you know people wouldn't pass high school which still happens mm-hmm. and so getting your high school degree diploma meant something yeah and now getting a master's is almost analogous to getting a high school diploma at this point. That's how far we've moved. Mm -hmm. And so there's a way that the value is, is kind of been eviscerated under the weight of what we're talking about, a kind of worship. It's going to provide these things and, and price have gone up. Everybody knows this. There's a a crisis in, 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 but you know, both here and abroad, I sent you guys an article earlier dealing with this uh, kind of idea abroad in the UK. So this is not like, um, you know, shocking to anybody. Like people are really wrestling with, like, well, yeah. w- what is the role of university or college, and um, how does it relate to cost? And what are assurances? I want assurance for mm-hmm. the value, the cost, and the the skill I'm obtaining, so that I may be able to uh, live out or find my purpose. Mm-hmm. So it just that narrative keeps working. So, and if you don't do that, some people will go like, and again, I'm not judging these things right now. I'm just you, you have folks that go in the military. I'm going to go there. I'm going to be a part of something. I'm going to have relationships. I'm going to serve, find purpose, acquire know-how, mm-hmm. gain a certain amount of value and a certain amount of assurance for a job after the military. Mm-hmm. So you often find people that don't even go to the military because they want to be in the military, but they see it as a means towards a certain amount of assurance of benefit for later. Again, not judging, but just talking about the way our culture is operated and operating in this way. And it, and you know, it, it um, you know, I mentioned American Idol a lot last episode. It's like everybody goes to American Idol for this very reason. Mm-hmm. I want to be in Hollywood. What's that? A place. Well, what's there? Affirmation. What else is there? Assurance. And if I am anointed a star, then I found my purpose. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the business of recording records and you have to prove whether or not it's true. And you can't prove it as much as other people have to confirm it. And mm-hmm. that becomes a topsy-turvy life. And, you know, we brought up things like Madonna or... You know, a lot of celebrities that really, really struggle. It's like, you know, the my one of my favorite meme jokes um, is uh, Jennifer Lopez has got needs just needs two more rings to tie uh, Tom Brady as the goat. Um, <laughs> as far as uh, marriage and divorce, <laughs> you know, and, and I, I don't <laughs> that meme just made me laugh, but um, I'm not really laughing at it. I'm saying like it's showing something. It's showing something. There's a longing for something like 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 the most successful people like there's a reason not to date this podcast by saying this, but there's a reason why people are fascinated watching Johnny Depp and his wife in divorce court right now talking yeah. over millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there is a, um, the, these folks have gone ahead of many of us in the consuming and collecting of a lifestyle with all of the promises that um are there and yet when you peel back the layer what we find is you know brokenness uh insecurity abuse drugs um the money the wealth and the projection of oneself as as jack sparrow or it isn't enough to satiate nor satisfy either person so she she's with him she's proximal to this great actor i think he's a great actor uh, by and large, um, I'm not talking about his character. I'm just saying, you know, historically, he's a reason why he's yeah. been around for a he's while. He's good at his work. He's good at his work. And <laughs> somehow 
that proximity hasn't that place that shared life has landed in divorce court mm-hmm. and, you know you could talk about motive and means and all of that but it's just to kind of give a pop level analysis and say like there's no place where we're not really really wrestling with exactly what we're talking about mm-hmm. and yeah. you see artists especially wrestle with this in a way that I'm, I've always admired as an artist because for every person who finds a lot of success in, in this kind of pop culture way, money, fame, like that kind of thing, there's a lot of other people that are really, really sincerely looking and putting a lot of pressure on themselves and putting a lot of pressure on what they make to sustain them and to, to prove that there's something valuable about the world we live in, mm-hmm. that, there, that there's a real sacrificial sincerity in, in um, like a sacrificial life of like, no, I really believe there's something more and I, I'm trying to use these. I, I'm I'm experimenting or exploring or you know um, trying to figure out what that is through 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 the world of art and communication and thinking and so on. And so um, you know we really see this play out historically in the arts. I think in a very keen way um, that I think foregrounds a lot of the issues in a very keen way. I think the way artists have suffered historically, which we've mm. talked about. Yeah. bears evidence to this you know so if, if you haven't if you've been listening go back and listen to our four-parter on suffering um i think even when you listen to our calling episode episodes i think the longing for purpose is mm-hmm. wedded to whether or not we're called to something like we have an internal um compass that it i would say like you know a broken compass still says that there was a direction to go that but it's broken mm-hmm. so you can't get it to angle for where it's supposed to but it's still in its brokenness suggests that there is an angle to go to. I just can't tell now. I mm-hmm. need someone to come fix the compass. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes I think that's us. Yeah. That we're like a broken compass. So mm-hmm. in our makeup, we are meant to go somewhere, but the compass is broken. So we can't, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but um, it doesn't eviscerate the nature of us being oriented towards a direction. Yes. Like in that metaphor, like a compass is still a compass, even if it's broken. Mm-hmm. Um, and you even have to have some sort of like outside knowledge to be able to come to it and say, hey, this is a compass and it's not working. Yeah. And uh, a compass assumes something outside of itself. Yeah. It's built in. It's a given. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, just I'm just kind of, you know, trying to mm-hmm. um, kind of go backwards and, you know, give us some overview of like we talked about satisfaction. Well, like if I'm if I'm desirous of satisfaction that I, it, it comes externally, mm-hmm. um, but it somehow accords or resonates internally. That's a pretty weighty task. Mm. Um, you know, and I think, so just as an aside, I think that that's why you see drug addiction for me would be eating. Um, you know, which I'd say is no more, it's can be as deadly as drug addiction oh, yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like, I mean, not to, so like to take it off the, table and say like you know listen sugar addiction is just as, as bad as a lot of drug addiction in some ways oh yeah oh, i mean yeah. diabetes is serious right so mm-hmm. you know and i i am um you know you could take me and some of my family members who had drug problems and i'm not actually better than them i just have a sanitized uh culturally sanitized set of issues that we're more tolerant of and that we can market and tax better you know mm-hmm. so yeah, like, yeah. So, I mean, so there is something about ingesting and trying to get that which is external into us to give mm-hmm. us an internal uh, shift, alteration, you know. So we even try that. We even try to 
force transformation into us through mm -hmm. external means. And you get hits of what, what life could be like, but it never actually changes you as much as it derails you further. And so it speaks to the longing while not actually fulfilling or answering it. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is why you see sort of tracing back a little bit, you see these waves or movements of points of saturation where you'll have groups of people who sort of get on board and agree that a few things might actually be the thing that this time can get us the place and the value and the security and the relationships and the purpose. And so you'll have everyone tries that for a while. It sort of has this peak of popularity. Mm -hmm. And then at some point it, it stops working mm -hmm. um, and something else crops up on the horizon. I think your comment about how we, like our commerce works around this is a really good point because if, if you just think about how Wall Street works, I mean, it's trading mm -hmm. stocks is basically let me ride the wave of a popularity. Let me, let me get in on something when it's inexpensive, hold it as its popularity increases, jump out while it's really popular mm -hmm. with the assumption that at some point it's going to crash. It's going to reach its peak saturation. And then attention is going to turn other places, whatever that commodity was or that stock is no longer going to be valuable. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's a deep assumption of how our society works mm -hmm. for those trends and those waves to roll through. Yeah. Um, and we assume that is, is progress. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, and it happens at, it's like at, um, multiple levels, uh, or, or multiple scales, scales about human humans, you know? Mm -hmm. And so at the scale of like, I got up today and was looking at the painting I made yesterday and I don't like it anymore. And yesterday I was high as a kite on what I thought was transpiring. How do you reconcile that change? Uh, so we, we kind of, you know, create uh, truisms. Well, you know, that's just, that's sort of like what it is. And, and, and maybe that's true, but also maybe it speaks to something. And, and so uh, without actually pressing in and kind of analyzing that, for risk of being disrupted in your practice, we don't analyze it, you know, because like the fear of being disrupted is pretty, is um, scary, right? Like if I'm banking, yeah. yeah, if I'm banking on this to deliver me into a place of purpose, then, and I've, I've like put all my eggs in this basket, mm -hmm. that's, it's risky in that way. You feel the weight. Yeah, it is risky because, you know, if, if there's a space where you're like, well, that didn't do it, like it, it as much as we might mentally be able to compartmentalize, like realistically, it doesn't actually happen. Mm -hmm. uh, we are, we are creatures of context and community. So anything like that, that we think holds that much weight or value when, when we realize it doesn't, that's when we say, well, now I, I'm not just rethinking like my studio practice. I'm now rethinking like my desire to this and my feelings about this. Like when, when those, those things get bottomed out, mm -hmm. like everything has to be reconsidered. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll speak candidly and say like, you know, like in my lifetime at different points, I could be feeling great. And then, you know, historically, and, and then you have a, a, a really, really, it's like a fragile cal, uh, house of cards that you mm -hmm. actually don't believe is a house of cards. And then the cards start falling and my mind can go to the most extreme places. Like I don't want to live anymore. Like, yeah, yeah. It becomes a weird option in, in your assessment of, I just put that much effort in. I'm not good enough. I'm not qualified. And I'm always going to be stuck in this place. I'll never obtain to the better place, whatever that is. Yeah. And I'll never have the better relationships that follow. Cause if I could just have, if I could have, if I can just succeed at what I'm doing artistically speaking, let's just say for, um, and, 
and I've been putting in this work and now I've got three months in on this project and I'm not feeling good about it at all anymore. I'm banking on my feelings, number one. No one else has confirmed it yet. Yeah. I'm already feeling disparaging and the prospects of what can follow seem bleak and dark to me. I'm not going to be someone that's seen in the way that I want to be seen because mm-hmm. I'm dissatisfied with where I'm at. And so, you know, my options become strange. You know, you start to really, you can feel dangerously desperate. And I, I mean that in, in a really serious way. It's definitely things that over my lifetime I've, I have wrestled with and had to confront. And the echoes of those kinds of thoughts can always creep into my mind if I permit them. And so, um, on the other hand, we can like tune it out so hard that we're driving blindly through what we're doing and we're overextending ourselves creatively to the point that we're missing the, the fruitful relationships that could follow from mm-hmm. the work you're doing because you're, you're driving hard and fast to avoid this ever happening. But then, you know, then you're, um, then you, you've consumed your life and consumed up and you look back and there's no time left. Yeah. I mean, so, so it's like, there's not, so it's like, um, horizontally speaking, let's say like if we said like we exist on a horizontal plane as, uh, upright beings, moving in around, you know, the, the planet's like rotating, you know? So it's like a weird tilted axis. It's like, uh, uh, in constant motion itself, mm-hmm. you know, and then we're in constant, con- constant kind of motion, you know, we're breathing, we're, yeah. something's always alive. Right. And, um, in every direction you look, there's no victory mm-hmm. that isn't dissolvable and gone tomorrow. Yeah. That can be really hard to deal with and it can drive a lot of people to, to hunker down deeper into experiences and cut their, their, their minds off, mm-hmm. or it can cause them to hunker down into their mind and cut their experiences off. Mm. You, you know, um, I even think you see that in the Academy. Yeah. I think you see it there. And I mean, there's, I don't know if it's like an elephant in the room at this point, but when you, when you start to look at the arts, like you see this play out and, and even some of the like stereotypes of artists, right? Like, these like uh, you have kind of like the somber, moody artist who mm-hmm. detaches, and mm-hmm. then that detachment can be like a severely physical detachment from all things. Yeah, in the case, you know, especially some kind of well-known artists that have have found uh, you know a sad end of mm-hmm. sorts. Yeah, um, but it can also be uh, you know in the case of somebody like uh, J.D. Salinger, where it was just like, oh, they're they're alive, but mm-hmm. you have no clue where they are. I mean, they're not alive now, but. Mm-hmm. You know, but they for years that you have no clue where they are. So it's uh, you know, the, the detachments and like the ways that we separate from this stuff can be like very, very extreme. Um, and even to such an extreme that like within the arts we we kind of have them as like, oh, they're they're that type mm-hmm. of like artist or maker, um, or writer or musician or whatever. Um yeah, it's it's just a it's a like we see we see it enough. Yeah. Yeah, so that yeah. when we talk about it, like, even if you're like, no, that's not me, like, like you're saying, it probably is you to some extent, but also you've seen enough of it mm-hmm. to know that like, this is actually really like, we see this play out. Yeah. We know yeah, it yeah. does. Yeah. I mean, it's happened to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and, and we are fascinated by them, understandably so. Yeah. And we're trying to learn from them. I don't want to be that, but I'm interested in, in what they got. How, mm-hmm. how can I not fall to the same trappings, but obtain to some of the same, uh, levels they have and then acquire yeah. some of the same uh um benefits they did yeah. without the cost you know like it's like uh um uh but the siren song um dashes many a sailor on the rocks mm-hmm. 
you know, the, the beauty of the song itself, metaphorically speaking. And so, um, you know, I was thinking like, you know, if you looked at, um, sort of Kirk, I was like thinking about Kirk Cobain and yeah, think that he's, was fantastic. I mean, was it, uh, why don't Judd took her own life recently and had a long, hmm. uh, two days ago, had a long, oh, yeah, had a long battle Gosh, with, um, no. you know, mental illness or whatever, like, yeah, I think very possibly wrestling with a lot of these deep issues, these mm-hmm. dark, difficult issues as a as a successful country music singer with her daughters both being mm-hmm. successful. Is it Wino is, is the mom? I'm trying to think. I'm trying to remember. Know. Yeah. Well, um, and so so you have all these you have these musicians that have, have have lived fast, died young, and she is not that person. But but still, like acquired ascended to a certain kind of prominence was. Uh, took her life two days before being inducted into the uh, Country Music Hall of Fame. Oh, man. Yeah, heavy stuff, man. And, Naomi um, Judd. Naomi Judd, yeah, that's right. Winona's daughter, mm-hmm. Naomi, and then there's Ashley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so... so um, and, and not to trigger anybody, it's like, uh, you know, this is not like... You're not trying to talk about this thing per se, but what happens sometimes, I think, is as you move into art practices, creative practices some of the most troubled people were also the ones that were the most interesting in mm. their output. And so you want, you know, you try to look at their output and not look at the troubled part, but so closely, mm. but there's, as you get closer, the troubled part is like the siren song. You start to become attracted to like the, uh, the suffering mm-hmm. and the pain. And it's as if those things are an authenticator of what they did. And we talked about this a little bit, in the oh, yeah. suffering, suffering episodes, but just to kind of pull that into this equation, it's like, so, so you feel called to the wreckage yeah, a little bit because, because it's the most potent expression and somehow we trust better in brokenness. Like, like we, um, we, we see that as a, a validator or authenticator of their creative act. Mm-hmm. They were willing to die for it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, so, uh, I, I think quietly all of us have, um, a lot of us that have been creative uh, have probably peered into that, especially if you're a musician for a lot of musicians. Mm-hmm. But my goodness, a lot of artists too, just, just you know. Well, I think there's also a, a space within all of that, and I'm trying to formulate this thought as I'm talking, which I don't like to do very often. But um, there's a space within that where um, I think that we have some sort of, like inborn knowledge that like there are things that are dangerous to kind of hang your life on. Mm-hmm. Like we, we kind of know that, like mm-hmm. we hear those stories, but there's something even in the, even in like the messy murky things like mm-hmm. you're talking about that, that sometimes people might be like, well, it's at least it's something, mm-hmm. you know, at least it's not me just avoiding a lot of things. At mm-hmm. least it's something. So it's almost like I'd rather take the bad something than the, yeah, because there's a def, there's a there's something definite about it. Yeah, it, it's, it's and there's um, something scary concrete. about just like understanding like kind of the nothingness of just existing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. you know, again, not to like take yeah. those two down, uh, too many pegs down, but but there is like a um, what's that, that that phrase like better the devil you know than the one mm-hmm. you don't. You yeah, know, it's like you'd rather there be some substance there even if it's bad. I yeah, mean, there, this, this plays out in so many other ways totally. throughout life. I was thinking um, about um, about Moby Dick. <laughs> Yeah. And his pursuit of the. the yeah, I know, right? Yeah. I mean, like, because the whole thing, like, the whole trope throughout it as well is like, it's like, I'm, I know I'm going to, like, die from this. Yes. Like, this will kill me. This will be my end. Yes. And it's almost like, well, at that point, have you ever, have you, do you really have any more living left to do? Yeah. 
Like if you've, if you've resigned yourself to the thing that will obliterate you mm-hmm. and not actually give you fullness or flourishing, mm-hmm. then are you there in the first place? Yeah. Have you lived? Sorry for the existential questions. Yeah, no, but I mean, that bears on this. The whole <laughs> it does. Point of this. Yeah. That's the whole point of, point of this. And, and I, you know, I think, um, let me say this. I think we live in a Moby Dick culture. Yeah. There's a kind of a, we, you know, this is another way of just trying to summarize what we've been saying, which mm-hmm. is like all of these expectations and there's a willingness to die with that, which we're pursuing. Yeah. The question becomes, um, we're all going to die. So is it worth pursuing? Mm-hmm. Right. That's, yeah. That's what I was going to say. I mean, it's, it's pressurized by the fact that we all are on the clock. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have all the time in the world to figure these things yeah. out. That's the, that's the alligator in Peter Pan. Yeah, he yeah, swallowed the clock, and he's he's uh, a metaphor for death, and he's reminding Captain Hook, that he's on the clock, man. Yeah. Like he's already uh, death is already he's already tasted death. He's lost his hand to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, youth is escaping him all the time in Peter mm-hmm. Pan, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the youthful escape of Peter Pan is its own kind of death as well. It's I mean, there's some really weird metaphorical power typological power and oh yeah and you know in these stories and and they really uh have uh bearing on this sorry you were no no that's great yeah 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 um yeah man i mean so you know in a way like i guess i guess i'm like uh you know how awkward do you make it you know in these conversations like how far do we go well i think i mean i don't know i don't know man like there's a there's a point like i was saying like i think that you're at a we're at a space where Nothing we've said, I think, is going to really jar anybody so much to where they're engaged in the conversation and go, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. I've never understood any of this. Yeah. Like, I don't think there's any disagreement on the, like, garbage and the problem and the pursuit and the emptiness. Like, I don't think there's any disagreement on that. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I think that a lot of, like, you know, French existentialism, like, kind of submitted that. And then sure. the obsession within, like, a 20 or 30 year period of art school kids, like, constantly reading that. Like, I think it's an ingrained thing into a large part of the bigger community. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's like, it, you know, but but you're always just kind of left with like, it's great. But now, yeah. um, well, thanks, Ryan. You just got me feeling terrible. Like, yeah. yeah. You just it's got like, me, you yeah. know, like, I'm doing it bad. I'm doing it wrong. You're forced in the position of you could either make the French existentialist move, which is double down on it. Yeah, live fast and others and just be like, this is it. Let's Mm -hmm. go for it. Um, Let's go for the meaninglessness. Let's let's self-authenticate. And, you know, you could say that we've built a society on that idea. Mm -hmm. Um, But I guess the question is, is that the only conclusion that's to be had? Is it we can see all these problems, all these concerns, all these ways that we're that humans are continually trying to live out and determine these questions and find answers. You know, are we content to just settle with the answer of, well, it's all, it's all kind of like a joke. So just get your kicks somewhere, mm-hmm. um, play your games and try to ignore that. We're all living on the clock. We've yeah. all got the alligator chasing after us. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So you get, which that in and of itself feels, um, a little cruel, a little, um, hopeless. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, because there's the hedonism or the nihilism, right? Mm-hmm. The void exists. Do you throw yourself into it or other things? Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, that's the question there. Um, but I think there's always... Hedonistic nihilism. Or, yeah, you just do both, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, you wholeheartedly throw yourself with everything else into it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but it's a, uh, you know, well, life like a fire consumes everything. Yeah. 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 You know, like it will, you will be consumed out. Yep. And that's, yeah. And so like, it's like, if you take the whole saturation conversation and you look at it as like, uh, fresh wood becoming kindling to keep burning a fire mm. as, as the things that we sort of worship. Yeah, get yeah. consumed and then they consume us in the process. Yeah. And we call it progress. That's one of the things I want to make sure we pull mm. back thread back into this weave and say like, it's good. Yeah. 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 That, that we have to, I think respectfully, and I mean this respectfully that we, I think we delude ourselves into calling it. I think we delude ourselves into saying it's pro, pro, uh, um, progress. And we've talked about it being atomizing and I would say the atomizing and fracturing of holes external to us necessitate that we become more fractured ourselves in order to enter into those fractured states or to relate to them. And so, um, and we call fracturing transformation or change and descriptively perhaps, but I think the question becomes anthropological. It becomes, mm-hmm. um, so that means like, uh, so ontological would be like, being anthropological would be like human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it becomes spiritual. Like, are we raw material? Or are we something more than that? At least, are we are we raw material and more than that? Are we like are we just body mechanized? Are we body with soul and spirit? Um, are we really? Is it body bad, spirit good? Like, um, you know, is it uh, a self determined state? Um, if so, it doesn't appear, that doesn't appear to be working very well. Mm-hmm. If we're being like, you may be able to hunker down and be like, I'm having a great time right now. Right. But you're not the only one existing. And, yeah, and, and now is not the only time you'll have. That's right. And exactly. And, and, and nobody gets out from under the clock mm-hmm. and, you know, um, uh, you know, so the, the, you know, the metaphor of the sea and Melville's, um, Moby Dick yeah. is, is huge. Mm-hmm. And the elusivity of the, uh, the, the, the whale, um, is, you know, there's, it's interesting to put the clock, the alligator and the whale together. Well, I think like, and even with that, it, it, it reminds me of what Cody was saying on the last episode about health versus wellness mm-hmm. and the, like the target and the moving target. When we talk about progress, the thing about it is I never have to get there right? because I can just explain everything as like movement towards, mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, still going back to how we talked about health and wellness, like it's hugely anxiety inducing. Yeah. So for me to be locked into a culture that is only focused on progress, it's another one of those untenable podiums holding up something that has so much more weight on it than it can bear. Um, because I, I mean, you can look around and you can see a lot of stuff. that's like, if we're talking progress as the word is meant to be, there's a lot of things that feel regressive, mm-hmm. not progressive, not progressive. Yeah. And that's. And it may not necessarily be because there's like some terrible group of people out there that are just trying to throw us back into a stone age, just to use some of the, the, the terminology in that sort of binary discussion. Um, but I think it's because it's not actually progress. Mm-hmm. Um, because progress has a definite understanding and endpoint, which if we go back even to uh, past episodes, when we talk about some of the failures and problems that came about through modernism, one of them is there was no definite endpoint, mm-hmm. right? The terminus was utopia. Mm-hmm. And so you never get there. Yeah. And if you can never understand what that endpoint is, where you're going or how it benefits you now, you have no, you got no signposts along mm-hmm. to let you know if you're on the right road or not. And so of course you get to a space where you're just smoking a cigarette in a cafe in Paris and you're saying, well, I guess there's just nothing mm-hmm. because if there's no end and there's no way for me to know where I am, 
and there's nothing here, well, then the other option is you just embrace what's real, mm-hmm. which is all the nothing we've been talking about with different words. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard place to be. Yeah. Because it does get you into not a helpful headspace. And it doesn't get into any of the stuff that we've ever talked about. No. Right? It doesn't get into community. It doesn't get into holisticness. It doesn't get into integration of work and life. It doesn't get into how uh, you can uh, benefit other people and be benefited by other people. It doesn't get into any of those things. Like, yeah. That's not the space where those conversations actually happen. Yeah. And if you try to, they, they actually, even if people have been listening, they, they maybe think that we've sounded a bit naive at times. You had something you were going to say, Cody? I was just going to think, um, following Kara's point, and if you do have people who see those good things and they want to hold on to them, then it seems like in the face of sort of the meaninglessness or the nothingness, and the striving to hold on to those good things that we just sort of intuitively understand um, are good for humans and maybe by extension good for the world, it seems like a very sort of arbitrary, just like I'm going to, of myself, by my own will, try to take two things that can't really live in the same space, Mm. meaning and community and purpose, and then no idea of where this is all going, no ultimate fixed reality. Or what it's for. And I'm just going to try to hold on to both of those things and in my own person bring them together. And yeah. I will become the centering point between those two tensions. Yeah, it's a highly individualistic space. Yeah, default. Right? A, a very, uh, a space where now um, instead of instead of like the, the nihilism or hedonism kind of stopping at the threshold and saying there's nowhere to go from here, so we just kind of exist in the existentialism, what you're talking about, Cody, I think then gets us into a place where it's like, Okay, so I'm not looking outward. I'm not looking at nothing. Now I'm just looking inward. Mm -hmm. And so that inward focus is all of it. And so I've got to muster up and you get like one more like ton of shackles that you're putting on yourself, right? Because you're like, well, what about in those days I just can't do it when I just can't get out of bed? Like, where's my worth? Where's my value? Where's my purpose? Where's my place? You know, so if I can't find it in myself or on my best days, I can even tell you like, hey, myself might not actually be that great. Um, yeah, you can never. Then admit where that. are we? Yeah, you never. You can't. And, and so the where question is a question of place because I'm not sure of my place. Um, so we 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 spiral back around to these categories. They're they're almost unavoidable. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we whether we may not think about them intellectually, but we, we act about them. So oh, our do, actions yeah. our actions confirm these these as a kind of um, uh, axiomatic set of uh, almost reflexive beliefs. That's why we mm-hmm. say that everybody worships. It's not a question of if you do, it's a question of what you worship. And the, the bigger question is, well, why, why does everybody worship? And the, the way I think the question was put last week was, why, why do, it's a C.S. Lewis quote, why do we hunger for, for something that we've never seen? Mm-hmm. Perhaps it's because we were meant for it. So then the question, because if we were meant for something, why aren't we there? Mm-hmm. And, you know, so that's the, so for me, you know, like just to, you know, kind of open it wide open, you know, I think, I think, um, I'll speak, I can speak, you know, we can just chime in, but I'll speak for myself as far mm-hmm. as like, you know, just like my personal experience. Yeah. And, um, you know, just to make it all the way uncomfortable where I guess what I would say up front is like, if you've been listening to this point, um, try to hear, I guess what I'm going to say, you know, may not come as a surprise to some of you, but I would try to hear what we're what I'm saying or what we're saying all together. Eventually, like mm-hmm. try to hear it fresh, try to consider it. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably listening alone. Mm-hmm. So there's no harm in that. Like yeah. just listen to it and, and consider what you think. But I can at least speak to my own experience. And so like mm-hmm. I wrestled with all of these issues, yeah. you know, up to a certain point. And, you know, I had, and I'm going to, 
butcher this and and not say it all completely well. And it, it's going to be a little ad hoc, you know, so that means that there's more conversation to be had mm-hmm. and explanations that I can't resolve right now because I don't have time. Yeah. Um, or I don't know. So, but, you know, a couple of things that really hit me. Um, I'll give you one. I'll just start stacking them. Okay. And like, there'll be like a, um, a constellation. Mm-hmm. Let's say this, I'm going to make a cumulative case for something. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that means that it's not going to be one silver bullet. It's going to be an, an accumulation. Mm-hmm. And I think the accumulation can accord with a lot of what we talked about. Yeah. Okay. So one is if we, if we, um, if we took, I'm going to start from a weird place. It's going to be confusing. If we, you know, we've thought we've talked about this before, so this is, this is not new to you, but you know, if you, um, when your parents are around mm-hmm. and you're a kid, how does your behavior work? Oh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's kind of preempted by their presence. Right. What do you mean by that? Say I more. mean, like, uh, I might not be as open or willing to do certain things, but I might be more willing to do other things. Okay. So it's relational. It's conditional. Highly relational. All right. Yeah. So what happens when you got any thoughts on that, Cody? No, I, I agree with Gary. Okay. Yeah. If, and if, I see that in my kids too. Yeah. Yeah. As parents, we see that <laughs> you come in the room, they act different. So, oh, yeah. so, um, parents not in the room. How do our kids act? Maybe a little wilder, maybe a little louder. Yeah. A little maybe, wilder. Uh, maybe they take little risks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. R- rebel a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. More likely to do something that I've told them they shouldn't do. Yeah. <laughs> way more likely. Yeah. My favorite is when I'm just in the other room and they don't realize it. <laughs> yeah. That's, like, I, I just heard everything true. you guys said. And oh, like, crap, dude. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, so at a minimum, this is one of the points I want to make that mm-hmm. I think was really interesting to me. It has been for a long time. And that is humans tend to interact differently based on the valued presence of an authority in the room. Yeah. So if you climb the authority ladder, mm-hmm. right? Like if it's, if, and, and interestingly enough, if you say, so you know, this in both directions, you may think, Hey, I'm a pretty humble person. And then somebody who mm-hmm. operates at a lower frequency than you, let's say mm-hmm. in, in ways that you think highly of yourself, yeah. uh, you, the temptation will be to be condescending yeah, yeah. Um, or to, to, to be dismissive of the person. But if a major authority comes in the room on something you care about, you'll you may find yourself being if you recognize it, you might find yourself being quieter, yeah, and in deferring to that person, mm-hmm. right? If that person is an authority, and I mean authority of knowledge or of like if that person is like uh, an authority over money, you know, and they, mm-hmm. they show up, you know, you're probably going to defer to them if if there are a authority and a, and they have celebrity, like a kind of cultural value, yeah. You may get to like what we talked about, you know, where, you know, you start, you get worked into a frenzy. Yeah. I'm close to Michael Jackson right now. And mm-hmm. now I'm crying because what I've angled, what, what I've wanted to associate with at a distance has now become attainable. And I'm mm-hmm. so, so, um, if it's an authority and it's like the president, like you just keep going up the ladder, you, your, your behavior will get constrained in different ways. It's interesting. Like our, 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 our sense of ourself is activated and shifted and changed yeah. by, the presence of of uh, people in our lives, beings totally. in our beings in our lives is one way I would say it. Mm-hmm. Um, if a wolf <laughs> enters our space, the nature of their being affects our behavior. Yeah, right. If a rabbit dog does, but if it's a a um, let's say it's a uh, koala bear, mm-hmm. well, 
I'm, it's wild. I may have reasons to be cautious, but I also uh, have been conditioned and culturally, you know, have more likelihood to enter into and, and pet the koala or try to grab it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and all I'm trying to do is make make distinctions and say that every kind of being that enters our life affects the way we exist. Hmm. Yeah, if, yeah. If it's a bug, uh, we may act, act in fear or, or heroism, which happened last night in my house. Two people were scared. A few weren't. Yeah. I had to collect the bug, and then me and my son tried to uh, free it. Yeah, it was like a weird red beetle. Mm-hmm. But that being entered our space and did something. So here's one point I, that really started to weigh on me some years ago, is that the external presence of another being seems to always, and I'm not saying human being, I'm saying just ontological, just being kinds, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, at a minimum, uh, uh, has... Um, immediate impact on us of one kind or another, you know, an ant on my shoulder, I flick it off. That's the level of impact. Right. Mm -hmm. But if it's an ant that I'm allergic to, my response is much different. Yeah. If a beautiful bird lands on my shoulder and doesn't leave, I can receive that as like a bestowing of a kind of, it's almost like a momentary anointing or blessing. I'm like, wow. If a famous art critic enters into my studio and Mm -hmm. says the same thing my grandma said about my artwork, I'm going to take that way further than what my grandma possibly said. Oh yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. So what changes there? Authority and value mm-hmm. and anointing. Right. So, so y'all, does that make sense? It's like, it does, like yeah. so yeah. So I would just like to say that like in every case we have that when you, when grandma shows up, man, everybody slows down a tiny, like depending mm-hmm. on grandma's temperament, if you love your grandparents, you make a, you, you just almost reflexively start adjusting. Hey grandma, what's up? Good to see you. Like mm-hmm. you talk differently. You, you adjust your relationally, your frequency. So we're relational beings who make adjustments according to who's there. Yeah. Makes okay. sense. So when there's no authority in the room of our lives mm. that can explain to us who we are and what we are, we walk around in the dark, we run amok, we act like children. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, we experiment, we explore, we have fun, but we also mess things up. Yeah, yeah. You know, we so have I mean kind of do that kind of good. Tongue in cheek. Mm-hmm. So that's something that that's some, that's a category, right? So it's in my studies, like, you know, personally, man, like I, I'll say this, like you know, my story is like I is a restless seeker. Mm-hmm. So I could not settle for not that I was so smart. It's just that I had a restlessness in me that um, that could not settle and was in thought, you know, uh, there's two things I, I wanted. I wanted to have answers. Yeah. And I didn't want to be religious. Yeah. yeah. I, I was not raised religious. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say I'm religious now, but I, I will say things that will make some people st- think that I'm religious today yeah. or that I may have said in the past. And, and one thing I would say is with religion or, you know, discussions on God or anything like that at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, oftentimes we've been inoculated. Oh yeah. <clears throat> meaning we've had just enough of it introduced to, to think that we don't need it or possibly primed primed for it. Yeah. And so, so like I'll give you a, an example. Let's I've, I've used this a million times, but like, you know, I love art as we all do. And I've devoted a majority of my life to it, the mm-hmm. whole of my life to it. And when somebody is a huckster and does some really, and I mean, I don't mean this arrogantly, but they do like a really poor painting of like some daisies on like, and they're like down on the street corner and it's a, it's not, they're not an artist at all. Yeah. They're free to do that. And I'm free to disregard it. I never let that expression act as the totalizing stand in for all of art. 
Oh, like, I never like that. That painting is not great. So painting as a therefore it has to be thrown yeah, out. Yeah. That artist is not great. Yes, yeah, good point. And so I would use that as a metaphor for any anybody standing on a street corner saying things that are ticking people off. Yeah, totally. Does that, does that make sense? Same thing. Yeah. Like that. That is not your litmus test for the value of a conversation. Yeah, because if you if you wouldn't if you wouldn't hold value for anecdotal evidence in one place, you probably should not hold anecdotal value or anecdotal evidence as a value in any place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, you should really consider it becomes that a critical. categorical definition. That's right. Or That's you, right. I just think about like myself, like if uh, someone met me on my worst day, I wouldn't want them to think. That that was like who yeah. I was. That's definitely yeah. That no, that's, one, that's good. Yeah, yeah, and we do that, and sometimes we have enough that we could. That's all we can afford to do. But yeah, absolutely. You don't. You, you know, you don't want that. So, so in this discussion, like one of the things that I came to was like, you know, I'm living out this exhausting of everything, and I can't find this this kind of like inner itch, you know, and um, and uh, this years of depression, and um, uh the more successful I got, the more miserable I was. Mm -hmm. So the more affirmation I got, the more miserable I was. It's because it, it was both accomplishing what I hoped, but not changing the state of my being in the way that I so hungered for and was unwilling to settle for anything fake or, or cheap to the point that I, I at times had, you know, serious depression and suicidal thoughts and that kind of thing. I mean, that's yeah. pretty, and I don't, and you know, some people will say, well, you know, that's the reason why you, you settle for X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. But I will say to you, like my life has changed, completely changed. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I hit that more later. But um, one thing I realized is I was afraid to enter into the depth of certain conversations. And so I'd rather hear like uh, a kind of a, a supposed neutral thinker talk about different metaphysical questions. So like rather than listening to a Buddhist directly and reading the text, I would listen to somebody who was like a religious teacher talk about Buddhism mm. or a religious teacher talk about Christianity or Judaism or yeah. Islam or, you know, um, Scientology, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, like, yeah. um, scientism, like, like, so, you know, different philosophical offshoots and Baha'ism and like, there's just so many. And, and what I realized is the Mickey was that that person had a, had a, point of view hmm. and without examining their point of view i didn't realize how much their point of view was coloring their analysis so that once that once i became startled by that and that's when i started to actually look into very specific beliefs mm -hmm. and and um you know so for me there's questions there's like uh, i'm gonna do a poor job of this but there's philosophical questions like one i think i've mentioned the podcast in the past but it's really worth considering there is change within hum humans mm -hmm. But we've we've not evidenced, uh, and I know folks can push back, so so feel free to. There's a bigger conversation here. Uh, we've not evidenced macro evolution. Uh -huh. um, we do see micro. We do see like change, and um, uh, acclimation. We seem to acclimate. Humans will will shift in acclimating to environment, to place. Yeah, we're robust. Yeah, yeah, in that way, which is really interesting. There's so much in that. Um, but what I started to find was, you know, uh, there's like things that transcend that don't seem to require direct connectivity. I'll give you an example. All humans are moral. And people will push back on that and because they miss what I'm saying. Yeah, all, people, like, all people don't share the same morality. That's right. It's, it's not the morality out, outworking. It's that they're moral. Everyone looks left or right. 
everyone has an oughtness. We ought to do it this way or that way. It doesn't matter how remote you are. All beings are um, uh, uh, finite, which means limited, mm-hmm. uh, in, in a given state of affairs and conditions such that they can only make certain choices, but there is an inner oughtness to choice. Mm-hmm. I choose to live on the mountaintop and disregard humanity. I choose to live remotely. I choose to live with people. I choose. And, and oftentimes humans will espouse why it is that they believe this is better than that. I mean, we're living in a society right now that is polarized with this. Mm-hmm. So that, that speaks to, uh, to uh, uh, without getting deep into morality as a philosophical discussion, that speaks to the fact that humans are moral beings. So what I would say or what um, sort of a platonic or even, you know, even a sort of a pseudo platonic or Aristotelian category is that, that there is a, um, de- that we're all moral demands an absolute morality that grounds uh, and enables us as contingent uh, beings to transcendently um, be moral. So this is kind of dumb, but yeah. in the same sense, would you say like the way that contestants on Jeopardy can give answers to a question is because there is an answer to that question? You could say that. Yeah, you could say that. Like yeah. if you wanted to dumb it down out of philosophical yeah. terms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You could say, so it's a, it's a way of saying that that everyone does this and it's not the uh, link between one ape to another in a picture. Yeah. But like we could be at different time zones. We can be at different uh, decades, different centuries. And we all do this means that there is something upheld in us as human beings that is constantly moral. Mm-hmm. So we may say that we disagree in our morality expression. Yeah. We may be differing levels or senses of morality. Some people may express it more strongly. Some people may be more reserved. But those are minor differences to the constancy of that. Mm. So that is a, a transcending time and space reality bound within individuals. Therefore, it suggests that there's something outside of us that upholds this within us. Mm-hmm. Okay. So does that make sense? So, yeah. Because okay. I can, I mean, if you just think about the fact that we can read texts that are two to 3,000 years old that deal with questions of morality and yes. humanity. And if we may not agree with the specifics of the moral choices that are presented and what's good or bad, but we can completely track with this, the concept of morality in from people in times and places that we are like hugely distant from. Yes. Um, so I think that's just a, a quick little sort of example. If I can sit down and read something that was written by someone 3,000 years ago mm-hmm. and generally track with what they're trying to communicate about morals, that's pretty significant. That's, that's, that's transcendent, and that's, that's really yeah. astonishing. So here's a couple others. So all humans are communicative. And by way of, uh, so they're communicative and they're personal. Mm-hmm. So meaning they're persons. They're not universal person. They're individuated persons that communicate and receive communication. Now it can be weak or strong or, you know, middle ground communicator mm-hmm. can be, um, but they're all persons, all of our eyes in general, in general, uh, look out, take in information. Um, our ears take in information, our mouths give sound. Like we all operate that way. And you can say, well, what about the person with whatever thing? Well, like, uh, my son has a disease and so he is, got a gene that's um, missing or it's mutated. Mm-hmm. And so he doesn't have to, we don't have this, we don't share the same gene. Therefore there are certain attributes that he has to deal with that. I don't, mm-hmm. um, 
but that doesn't change. Here's how we know this is true. If someone is born for one reason or another without a leg, we don't look at that and say like, we don't look at it and not say anything. Mm -hmm. We look at that and say they're missing a leg. Well, you would only say they're missing a leg if inductively you're appealing to uniformity and reality enough to say that that isn't, that is not, uh, the standard reality for every being that comes mm-hmm. onto the planet. Does that make sense? So it's yeah. inductive. You're appealing to uniformity in nature every time you do that. And so thankfully there's such a strong baseline that inductively they could recognize that my son is missing a gene and mm-hmm. actually give him medical treatment. So he's alive. You see what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. and so when there's a variation or a difference that doesn't violate the premise of what I'm saying, it actually confirms it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, and so, um, so all human beings are personal mm-hmm. and all hum- human beings are communicative. Mm-hmm. So that is a transcendent category. It transcends space and time. Therefore, this stacks the grounding. So we have to have a absolute morality. We have to actually have an absolute uh, being who is communicative and um, uh, personal. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, or that is upholding these things in us. Mm-hmm. That, that we're somehow in reference to that. And so it keeps going. So all human beings agree with love of some kind. Mm-hmm. So we got to define that. That's a big conversation, maybe for another episode. But so all human beings seem to be loving uh, or, or uh, longing of it or expressing it in one way or another. And that's a really diverse conversation like morality. Mm-hmm. But prior to the more I'm saying philosophically prior to the moral expression uh, or prior to the expression of love, it is something that is there. Mm-hmm. And so I would stack this criterion into this category of a transcendent being essentially that actually, that actually loves or is love that is moral, that is, uh, uh, personal. And that is, um, uh, um, communicative, communicative and, and actually, um, outside of our conditions such that our conditions, the world we find ourselves in mm-hmm. and all of the cosmos within it are upheld by this being. And I'm making huge leaps here, but I, but I mean, this is a, this is, you know, short conversation for, yeah, it's yeah. really like a big one, you know? Right. Um, and, and so, um, what I'm saying is our existence demands that we acknowledge that there is a God. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is, is like everything that we've talked about for so long, it really is like we've been describing the whole, you know, and, uh, and I think that you have to land at a place in the conversation where you have to start asking questions of like, well, what actually goes in the hole that matters? Cause that's the thing is, so it's inductive. Yeah. So there's yeah. a, there's a hole to be filled and that's the inductive thing is like mm-hmm. in our existence, every moment you get up, you're appealing to the uniformity of nature and reality. What I mean by that is like you get up and put your feet down. You expect that the ground's going to be there Yeah. when you breathe. I mean, I said this last episode of the episode before I forget, but mm-hmm. when you breathe, you're doing that when you're, when you're, you're, you're demanding that it's the case and it actually lo and behold is the case. So then for me, um, begrudgingly, that's where, you know, I, so, so go back to the importance of the being intervening mm-hmm. right in the room. So if there's God, if, if God intervenes in your life, that's, that's transformational on, on who you are mm-hmm. same way, a parent or someone, a celebrity or someone, it, it speaks to the fact that, um, so uh, let me go back and say this. If we were playing football, if, if we think that our fundamental problem as human beings mm-hmm. means I have to go across the playing field from, from you know, north to south, 
on the football field. And if I score a touchdown over there, then I win. Mm-hmm. And you keep doing that. And ultimately you never change. Well, it's because the problem isn't horizontal, it's vertical. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a vertical problem. Okay. Like, and that's what, that's what I realized. No matter how successful I was, I'd run the other way. Success. I'd run the other way. Success. Miserable. Mm-hmm. And then, I, and then I, I, at the same time, I'm accruing secretly, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of like bumps and bruises, pains. I'm hurting people too. Like, you know, you're not perfect. You got like thoughts that don't make sense. You got actions you should have done. You got, you know, it's, you're accumulating a kind of a debt in a way, an emotional or psychological debt, a kind of a guilt, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, I'm not enough. I wish I could change. Well, I was going to say like, yeah. and, and if there's, uh, but there's already a verticality to it in yeah. the human experience. Yeah. Except that we have uh, overwhelming <laughs> um, experiences that we've talked about mm-hmm. throughout these episodes, but the, the verticality only goes down. Yeah. Right. That we, we find the depths in a bad way. Yeah, that's right. Like we're, we're real good at that as humans, right? Yeah. So you, you, you build up your thing and it doesn't work. And where do you go? You go vertical, but you go vertically down. Yeah. You go down you, in order to feel like you're going up. Yeah. yeah and I mean, yeah, so, and you know, so the same thing, like with me through college, there were certain things that I was like, this will hit a spot. This will take the place of this. This will write this wrong. This will make me not feel this way about my childhood anymore. And when those things didn't play out, then the only place I had to go was like the escape is through the bottom. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. it, it it did come to the same sort of like, well, I mean, I guess I got one option. Yeah. 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 So the verticality was already there, mm-hmm. but there's a, there's a, there's an inability to understand how the verticality can extend past me. Yeah. Or is it inability? It's, it's actually just an inability to go up. Yeah. Well, that's so, what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, you it can't, can't go past me. Yeah. It can't go past you yourself. I've got yeah, my yeah. height that I exist at and everything below yeah, it right. I can achieve. And so the best you can do is shrink things down to who you are and make yeah. the world operate under your ruling authority, which mm-hmm. is what people do. And, yeah. and with with a narrow field of vision, you you try to you try to function in the place of God essentially. Yeah, and we've talked about this in terms of like the inundation of social media, um, the way that we will like live in our studios but not go beyond it. Mm-hmm. You know, and even the thing like where you have um, like a narcissism or escapism in terms of how you might see the trope of the artist, mm-hmm. right? You're either high on yourself 100%, so nothing else can break in, uh, or you're not around anybody, so you don't have to hear it. Yeah. Um, they they both they both function in the same capacity. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, so so you start you start stacking this up, and I'm, I'm actually even this, you know, like and <clears throat> and um, it demands uh it demands an authority to break in. Like it's like there's no I can't I can't find relief. I can't find help. You know, and so uh, for me, I once had somebody a professor of mine, Stephen Kaldenbach, who he was like, you know, you know, I had a lot of experiences where people would throw this throw names at me and, and have you thought about this and you thought about that, and I say no, nah, and I curse people out, argue fight um but i heard some people talk about uh jesus of the bible mm-hmm. and um you know that 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 he actually was the answer to this sort of equation that that um this philosophical dilemma this dilemma of place purpose longing satisfaction and it's like i find people that just look mindless to me you know i, I just think like oh man mm-hmm. like these christian people are crazy and you know uh shallow and and uh and you know like problematic and don't listen and just overly eager and I don't <laughs> want to lose my soul and my identity and my life to becoming this mindless person who makes terrible art who can't think for himself and yeah, it's just yeah. has to like go to a dumpy place and watch dumpy movies by Kirk Cameron or something or <laughs> like like I had all of these concerns and so I'm hearing this this stuff and then and then like I didn't want it to be true but I actually had like people praying for me including Steve Kaulbach and like um I heard, I heard like the gospel, like the good news of Jesus and it like changed me. Like I actually believed it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started to get into like the intellectual implications of that, but they were not just impl- intellectual, they were existentially satisfying and internally transformational. In other words, I was actually changed. My life was changed and it was, uh, ex- it has been existentially satisfying, intellectually revolutionary. And I went from not being able to see to seeing mm. like I, I, I could only see my belly button. And so I had a very narrow vision of what the arts were. I had a very narrow vision of what my identity could be. And so as I started to consider these implications, like this, this dilemma of like, well, there's this transcendence, there's at least in a distant creating, there's some kind of mind independence. Mm-hmm. And then I heard the, the gospel and then it, the, the mind independence went from like remote God. Like, you know, I often think about like flowers. Like when I, when I go outside, I love gardening because I've said this in the past, like the trees and the flowers lean into the sun. Mm. They can't do what the sun does for them. You know what I mean? Like the flower, but the flower is so, let me ask you this. How is it that flower, sunflowers are made for the sun? The sun's never touched them. (laughs) Like, how do you explain that? And so here's this, here's this flower that greets the sun with an embrace and positions itself to receive all the benefits of the sun. Mm -hmm. It can't make the sun come down, but it can submit to the sun Mm -hmm. and allow the sun to do to the flower what only the sun can do. Yeah. yeah. So I would see these metaphors. You know, the other one that just would get me is like the apple Mm -hmm. with the seed that holds the genetic information for the tree that will produce the apple, the seed, the tree. It's kind of Trinitarian cyclicalness with just like, you know, when I first met my wife and I definitely wasn't where I was at now, I'd talk to her about this like obsessively. Like, how is this possible that there's a tree inside? Like, I know what science books say, but I'm like, but just still, like, how is this possible? Like, and so I heard, you know, I heard, I heard a whole bunch of stuff and it, it finally just, you know, one person said to me, like, the interesting thing about Christianity is it claims that Jesus, the son of God, yeah. was a man who actually existed in time and space. He broke into time and space because he loved the creation that he had, that he had spoken into existence and was upholding to rescue us from ourselves and from the brokenness that we had. Mm-hmm. And it was like, that's a crazy thought. Like the idea that the creator of all things it's also the one that can fix the things that we can't fix and was willing to like condescend and, and shrink and become something less so that we might become something more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a wild thought. Like, so that, that blew my mind when I started to really think on it and I did not want it to be true. Like at all. I didn't want anybody to know I was scared. I didn't, I was afraid people were going to think I was a bigot, judgmental, you know, that my family would reject me. So I'm worried, <clears throat> you know, I'm wrestling through all this stuff, but, you start hearing about this, you start reading books and you start thinking about the Trinity and you're like, whoa, the Trinity, this is a, is a, is a ontologically one be it's, it's one kind of being Mm -hmm. God. So like if you said human, human being, that's, that's what we are. We're human beings. And then we're many persons, Mm -hmm. you know, billions of people. Right. But we're one kind of being, we're human beings. Mm -hmm. And God is, is the kind of being that is God but is triune and ceaselessly three persons. So there's three persons, one God, and then there's like one humanity and billions of beings. And like this idea of unity and diversity simultaneously and mutually occurring in a ceaseless state of love and adoration, of of mutuality in a perpetual state as the grounding for all of reality. That 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 blew my mind. Mm-hmm. That this idea that there's this eternal community, qualitatively one God, 
who is comprised of the same stuff, not made, but comprised is out of the overflow of a a community of love speaks all of reality into existence or better yet. I like to say that sings speaks Mm -hmm. uh, reality into existence. Like it's like, I look at all of reality is the ultimate poem, song, sculpture, uh, motion, kinetic art, um, uh, expansive work that is still occurring even now because I also think that the world is is present tense upheld by the power of his word therefore mm-hmm. everything is being spoken right this second um, so that is mind-boggling and then and then if you take that idea and then you look at the narrative of like the Bible mm-hmm. it says that we fell when I look at outside I see peaches falling off my tree and when they fall their expiration date kicks on mm-hmm. there. The, the clock, the alligator is there. Yeah. yeah. It's going to rot. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Yeah. So the Bible says that, uh, we entered into like, uh, like sin and death. Mm-hmm. Well, because we, because we were broken, we, we broke from God. Then death enters the picture as a result of that. Meaning we, we have an expiration date. We're no longer plugged into the vine, mm-hmm. the, the direct life source. And there's a lot to say about that. Super wild, super crazy. But, um, I think that's what we experience. We're meant to be plugged in. And because we're not, we experience the absence of the only thing that can fulfill us. That purposes us to do all the things that we want to do. And we get glimpses of it, but we worship it instead of the one that made us to do the work. Hmm. And so we invert the relationship and everything buckles. You know, so so um, the question is like, is there... Well, I don't know. How's that straight? I know I'm rambling. So does that make I sense? Think, like what I'm thinking about is like, so you've, you've kind of laid out this, 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 um, this case of sorts where you're saying like, okay, we see these things in humans, therefore there must be something more. And I'm like, if that's to be true and if this is like a, a coherent system that you're kind of describing, then, then it would work the other way too. So the things that you're talking about in terms of like God and whatnot, like I should see them evidenced in humans to some extent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's that's kind of where my, my head goes as you're talking through this stuff. You know, and so you said a few things that, like, resonated with me as a father, which was, like, uh, you know, um, in 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 the person of, of Jesus, it's, uh, that, that someone would, like, lower themselves mm-hmm. to, to, to raise me up. And I think about that, like, that's, that's, that's fatherhood. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's motherhood. Like, that's... Um, to a lesser extent, mentorship because yeah. you got a little, you literally have less skin in the game, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, but I think it's, uh, but it's one of those things where it's like, I would, I would gladly give of myself for my kids betterment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we actually say that, um, we have terms for like fathers or mothers who don't do those sort of things, right. Who like abandon folks mm-hmm. or, or who are not involved, mm-hmm. uh, you know, those things become like traumatic or abusive. Um, so like we see that within like a human thing, um, which can lead us to ask these questions of like, well, how can we see it sometimes, but maybe not all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds like a lot of what you're saying, like can kind of make sense of some of those like in between spaces, mm-hmm. like those questions of like, why some, but not all, mm-hmm. um, you know, and at least start to give a little bit, like a few like handholds to, to say, well, perhaps it gives me something a little bit better than just personal striving. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe it's something better than just uh, wishful thinking. Um, and maybe uh, as unagreeable as some of it might sound to a lot of folks, it, it actually might be more agreeable than the nothingness 
that a lot of us go yeah, through. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like that's the thing, man. If you if you just tune out like right wing politics and you you strip away like, <sighs> yeah, it's like going to an art museum and getting all the pretentious people out of the room. Yeah, like if yeah, you're like, I hate yeah. it because they're just a million. Yeah, yeah. Just like disregard. What keep you, them quiet. Yeah, what you think about. So what I would say is like the problem we have is not knowledge. It's I think it's fallenness. It's brokenness. We're fallen, so we're broken. We, we're not plugged into the vine, and we're not able to plug. The, the flower can't thrust itself into connection with the sun. Yeah, the sun has to reach down and grab the flower, mm-hmm. and. You know, so you have these really interesting pictures in, like, in the story, the biblical story, which is way more compelling in terms of grammar and genre and syntax and like st- compositional structure. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a it's a much more sophisticated book than than you may encounter, like on average, with even like an average person you may find who says they follow Jesus or something like that. But so Jesus was historical. I'll give you a couple interesting facts about about the Bible, even just a. To, to set set down is one is if you take like all the ancient documents surrounding mm-hmm. Alexander, um, Alexander the Great, the most recent documents that would testify to his, his uh, the stories, the original documents are like 300 years later. Mm. And if you stacked all the ancient documents in the world that we have that are outside of the, the Bible, it, it would stack to maybe five, six feet. It's pretty impressive. You think yeah, about I mean, like from the, antiquity, yeah, you know, so if you take all the ancient documents that deal with the scriptures, like that are the scriptures or, uh, it, it, it stacks over four miles and it's still counting. It's still, mm-hmm. that's an insane difference. I also here, heard yeah. it another point. This may be something else you're going to yeah. say, but I, I heard at one point that there was like, uh, also some of the most like trustworthy texts we have of some of these ancient texts might have like two or three copies in existence, like originals sort yes. of things. And there's even disagreement within the text of those two or three copies. Um, whereas even the ancient texts of the Christian Bible are severely consistent across yeah, thousands of years. Thousands of years in different geological, different uh, geographic locations, different Which parts of the continent. I mean, just think now, like the ubiquity of your, your cell phone, like how somebody can misquote a tweet yeah. that they have access to and can yeah. look at it. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. to have somebody like writing in an illiterate society... A yes. largely literate society to have consistency across yes decades centuries huge conversation to this like this is a huge conversation and also the scriptures will go back uh, as far as within thirty years of the life of Jesus mm. that's like a that's a media that's that's at the same time if yeah. we're historically speaking yeah and then there's uh, our most ancient texts that are historical um, like the the writings of Josephus who's a, a Jewish historian who's not a Christian testifies to the existence of Jesus. And that he performed miracles, and that people believed he was the Messiah. So, so even people that didn't follow him still said that it confirmed that he, he was who he was. So it gets really, really interesting. And I think mm-hmm. so for me, this all became really compelling. But also, it was just confirmatory of what I experienced. He says he forgives you of your sins, like he you're fallen, and and fallen is so. Here's what I'm gonna say: death is losing the face of the one you love. So you, you die, and you exist separate from God and each other. And so I think eternality. Uh, apart from God is why we would call it hell is because it's like an ar- outer darkness, a ceaseless existence of conscious awareness of the fact that you are separate from all things hmm. in darkness. And so the opposite is true is that, um, uh, to be, um, uh, rescued, so to speak, or to be saved or to be, 
uh, grafted in or grabbed up by the by God through Christ is to be enjoined forever in an eternal state of um, existence that I actually think is physical. Um, you know, there's yeah, there's a whole. Yeah. I don't I don't want to pivot too much. So mm. if this is a pivot too much, let me know. But um, you know, everything we're talking about is saturation mm. and what can cannot hold weight. Yeah, and how these things can leave us empty. Yeah. And uh, like, so if all this stuff you're saying is, is if it's, if it's true and, and it's just like another thing, then how come we're not just like, how come with this wouldn't just be another spot that can't be held up? That can't support. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 so the story is that we lost the face of God. So, so the story is that God puts us in a, so there's different ways of looking at, at like Genesis, but the idea is that, um, I hold to the view that in the beginning is not a, a really about how much time. It's just a declarative statement of power. Like in the beginning, God created mm-hmm. and he separates the water from the water actually in the dry land. And like, there's all these implications and the spirit is fluttering over the waters. Of the Holy spirit There's the triune God is making through the word, which is Jesus and logos, by the way, is another way of saying the meaning of life. Mm-hmm. So just as an aside, Jesus is referred to the, as the logos and the logos that is Christ comes in between Greek philosophy and Jewish religion and answers the question. And the, the answer to the question is a human being is a person mm-hmm. is God who takes on humanity. Yeah. Um, so that's a really interesting provocative thought. Like the, the answer to the meaning of life is Jesus, the logos <laughs> who is a person mm-hmm. um, and a, par, uh, a, a member of the Trinity, which is like the grounding for all of reality, unity and diversity. We see it everywhere. We see mm-hmm. unity and diversity and then the inner oughtness in us cries out when there is disunity. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. We, we, we testify to without even trying. So, um, so in the creation account, he puts us in this garden and it looks like he makes the garden in seven days. And each day he declares it good and fit for habitability. And then God says, like, be fruitful and multiply, make mm-hmm. something of it. And so this is the great commission for artists is to make things, to imagine, to bear the image. So it says that the Bible says that we're made in the image of God, which is we, we reflect God. So imagine we're like a mirror mm-hmm. and we reflect the image of God back to God and vice versa. And that is a ceaseless expression that bears evidence of the Trinitarian communal reality that is ceaseless. Mm-hmm. But imagine if the mirror is broken. Well, now it can't reflect properly. Yeah. And so now it, it doesn't reflect properly to God or to each other. And so um, that means everything becomes distorted. And so one way I like to think about that is like the difference between a 45 and a 44 degree angle on site is very small, almost can't tell. But over time, the gulf is greater. So if God's the 45, the 44 over time is endlessly separate. And progressively more so, the gulf between the two never shall meet. Mm-hmm. So we're put into a garden called the called the work it. It's this cultivated place of beauty. It's loaded with jewels and vegetation and trees and fruit. And we're given an um, we're given abundance, and then we're told not to eat from one tree. Mm-hmm. And so, in the biblical account, uh, first humanity does that. They they disregard God and um, and eat. And they become aware of the fact that they disregard God. They've stepped into disunity or disfellowship. And now death has entered the equation. Mm-hmm. And so they feel shame and they go and cover their shame. If you've had kids, you know this. Like kids will hide without being told ever to hide. <laughs> yeah. We naturally mm-hmm. know how to hide. Yeah. Um, the, I have a, you know, anecdotally have a conscious memory of 
um, uh, doing this with my mom when I was two years old. I, she told me not to touch a toy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I broke it and hid under a blanket. I've never forgotten it. And she had to pull the blanket off and she had to grab me. Mm-hmm. And she had to absorb the cost of my disobedience and she had to cry because the toy couldn't be fixed because it was from her childhood. And um, she had to forgive me. Like there was nothing I could do within myself to project myself into her soul and make it right. It was, I knew death now. I knew a shame. I couldn't look at her face. I was two years old. Yeah. So that's us in the garden with God. And so God basically covers the shame. He's the first fashion designer. He sacrifices an animal and clothes Adam and Eve with a, the skins of an animal which is like a foreshadow of like what's to come for us as far as being clothed in the sacrifice of Christ. And so, so Jesus, um, you know, Jesus is, he, he's, he's, so Adam, so another way of saying it's like Adam, Adam and Eve were given everything in the story and they were denied only one thing. And there was like, do, do not do this. And I think that that there's a whole conversation there that'd be really fascinating. Um, and they were, tempted into that in a way that it just they couldn't resist or something you know mm-hmm. so um you know there's just so much to say that I'm, I'm trying to abbreviate here but um to your question like once that brokenness happened there's a god-sized hole in us that only god can fill so once that break happens then humanity starts to turn that hole onto reality and they start to make things to fill that hole. So they start to make safety and homes and, and relationships and money and nothing can fill it. Sex can't fill it. You know, it doesn't matter what it is. The whole biblical account is really that. And God, God's really saying like, hey, uh, you had a place with me, a purpose with me, mm-hmm. uh, protection from me, assurance from me and life in me. All of that was there and you lost it. But I will do something about it. And you will struggle in the meantime because you are not fit to, to, to do this alone. And so everything is going to be futile. It's going to be painful. It's not going to work the way it should because instead of living out of your purpose, you will have to pursue it and you will default to what Foster Wallace says. You will have to worship something. Your relationship, your spouse, your making, your art, and, and it will buckle under that weight because it's not infinite. And it's not... I would say that God is not God is not contingent upon reality. That He's an infinite prime mover. That everything else is a contingent upon. Mm-hmm. Anything that comes into existence has a beginning. Anything that doesn't come into, uh, but if all things come into existence at some point, they must be upheld by something that doesn't. Because mm. you can't start from infinity. <clears throat> because in between one and two is an infinite amount of numbers. Yeah, you never get to two. If you're really being consistent. So, so if God is uh, eternal and all powerful and, and these other attributes, the upholding is the prime mover. Everything else is contingent. And I actually think is spoken upheld. And the Bible says that. So, so fast forward, you know, the Bible just gives us this incredible allusions to God mm-hmm. or to Jesus coming to do for humanity, what it can't do for itself. So you see it in, in Moses, uh, Moses mediates God and people. Um, and communicates God's law and reality and their state of need. Mm-hmm. You see it in uh, di- many biblical characters. You guys could probably think of some uh, progressively throughout the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's really fast, like Moses, mm-hmm. uh, or sorry, um, uh, Noah. Mm-hmm. You know, he builds an ark and people are saved and the waters recede. 
and recreation starts over again. Hey, I got a place for you. I got a promise for you. I've got a purpose for you. Same place, promise and purpose I had in the beginning. They squander it. <clears throat> and it's Isaiah, you know, you got Isaiah. It's like you keep getting these figures that allude to Christ but cannot fulfill what Christ can. Mm-hmm. And so it increases the appetite and the hunger of people in this narrative. And so you finally get to this place where, I mean, we need a king, a priest, a prophet. You need people that can speak on your behalf. You need people that can rule with justice and mercy and um, and deliberate. And we need people that can satisfy. Like you, you need, you need uh, servants that can suffer. Um, there's all these categories that get bore, bore out that can be expounded upon later. And you get to the New Testament and Jesus shows up on the scene uh, as the one that does it, that yeah. can do it, that actually is the son of God, that actually is God himself. And that's why they killed him. He's, he, claimed, he claimed to be God. And then he did things publicly, not privately, not hearsay. He did it publicly and testified to that. And then he went to a tree. Mm-hmm. And, and where Adam, uh, through disobedience, suffered a kind of death or death from sin and suffering, mm-hmm. Jesus innocently goes and suffers death so that we might be forgiven, reconciled to God, and set to the freedom of the purpose for which we were always intended for, mm. which is to be fruitful and multiply, to make, to tell stories, to love, to serve, to care for, to generate, and participate in the recreation of all things. So like in, in the Bible, in Revelations, I think it's 21.5 or 3, I can't remember, but it says that Jesus says, I'm making all things new. So it's not like heaven's a pie-in-the-sky place of immateriality as much as it is a remade physical creation uh, so much like the one that we're in, but without all the pain, suffering, sin, and death. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a qualitative state of existence yeah. of humans being in restored and right relationship with God mm-hmm. rather than the previous circumstance. Not, yeah. not a material world is bad and this immaterial world will come and, and that's really the hope. Yeah. So Jesus comes in and he loves us when we're enemies. And his, he, he dies the siren song. He gets dashed on the rock. He gets thrown out into sea like Jonah. It's like Jonah gets thrown in the outer seas of allusion to Christ. And the sea is an allusion to chaos and sin mm-hmm. in, the, in the Bible. So then when Jesus walks on the water, he, he's the Lord over it. Like it's incredible. It's an incredible, powerful picture of like this God that when you're backed into, when Israel's backed into um, Exodus and they're backed up against the ocean, they have nowhere to go. Horizontally, there's nowhere, or vertically, sorry, horizontally, there's nowhere to go. And then God parts the Red Sea. And Jesus walks on the water. So there's this, this incredible allusions to the sea all the way through the scriptures that is about mm-hmm. chaos. And Christ is the Lord over the chaos. So then he calms the chaos of your heart. He calms the chaos that is external to us. And then he commissions his people to be salt and light in the world. Mm-hmm. And salt and light is really interesting. Salt is like, you know, it's preservative. It's actually also a manure. Like it can literally transform S-H-I-T mm-hmm. into new life. That's yeah. literally what it was used for. That's an incredible thought that the, the SHAT of my life can be turned into new life, mm-hmm. which is what Jesus literally says. I will take on all of the sin, all of the suffering, all of the shame. And, and here's the interesting thing. Jesus is the only, that I understand, is the only being ever to be truly isolated and completely alone for us. Here's what I mean. He goes to the cross and he dies. So he suffers separation, in a relational separation from the Trinity. And then he's also beaten and crucified by humanity who he's dying for so they might be welcomed into fellowship without them ever doing anything in a positive way 
right? Like they're only shaming, cursing, yelling, saying crucify him. So he's the only one to ever truly be alone. <clears throat> and he mm-hmm. does that for us. Yeah. And so he gives us the riches of that life. So like getting those riches, getting that purpose. And then the Bible talks a lot about this really resonated with me and does is that it says that we're in him like 70 times. So we're in Christ and you are a new creation and you are, have been given new eyes to see. And then you can see that creativity is there and essential because you were made in the image of the creator. Love is essential because you were made by a loving God who loves you and mm-hmm. is doing something about the problems of the world. And he includes you in that. He grafts you into the purpose and says, you're commissioned to be loving now. Um, he's gracious. So that means he gives things freely uh, without requiring anything from you. So by grace, you have been saved so that you might be gracious, so so that we might be generative, sacrificial, the way that we've received it. And then he promises to never leave us, so he gives us his Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit lives within us, applying and teaching. And so like you you, you become enveloped in ultimate reality by a personal God who promises to never leave you. And then you start to experience the personal relationship, which is how we know things. So we know things through personal relationship. That's ultimately how we know things. So then you live in an indefinite state of personal knowledge of the one who created all things who will never leave you or forsake you. Mm-hmm. So you'll never know all things at once, but you'll know the one who knows all things at once, who actually is the author of reality. And that is an eternal relationship that is unbreakable based on the strength of who he is. So he comes on his own strength to rescue us and no one can snatch us from his hand. Like that for me is transformational and it answers this question. So it's never a question of worship or not, it's a question of who. And if Christ is the worship, he can receive it because he was the one, he's the only one that can because he's, he's the infinite one. He's the, you know, God is all powerful. Like God can receive it. <clears throat> and I, I would say this, God is humble in his reception of that. It, it's not, um, if you read the Bible, if you start reading the gospels, he, Jesus is not walking around like flexing and, and being like, look at me. <laughs> you know, like one of my favorite stories is like, <clears throat> He's, he's traveling disciples and a woman who's bleeding. She's had an injury for like 12 years and she just kind of touches his, um, his clothes and she's like basically believes superstitiously and she's healed. And so he looks at her and he personalizes himself to her and he, he kind of like welcomes her in and doesn't just let her believe superstitiously. He, he like establishes that he is, he is exactly who she thinks she is and she doesn't have to be superstitious about it. And where they're headed was to save a 12-year-old girl mm-hmm. who was dying. And because he stopped, they're like, teacher, the person we're going to go save is, is going to die. And then someone comes and says she's died. Basically, he's like, what is time to me? Which is an <laughs> electrifying thought. Yeah. Because it's like, if he's God, what is time to him? Right. And so he shows up and, he, and people are crying. And then, and then he says, like, this child's not dead. She's asleep. And people are like, ha-ha, like, yeah, right. And so he comes up to her and he sits down on her bed. He only has a few people in there. And he says, delete the kumi. Um, rise and like really little girl get up and he holds her hand and she gets up and like if that is God that's that is an incredibly attractive picture mm-hmm. of how God would deal with us not not coming here to crush us but being crushed for us and then taking our hand gently and saying little child get up rise mm-hmm. up from your death uh, I have you now and like that changed my life it just changed it, and, and it, it set my mind af- aflame for living in community because now there's a grounds for community. 
I don't have to hide anymore. I don't have to apologize for wanting to be an artist. (coughs) In fact, I found this to be the most comprehensive grounds for being an artist. I know where my satisfaction is. It's in Christ vertically. So when I'm vertically satisfied, my horizontal existence doesn't have to contend with doing that for me. Now I'm free from the worship of other things. And then the life that radiates down and out of me or you or anybody else can be selfless because I don't have to power it. It doesn't come from me. I'm just a conduit. And so my artwork has a place. It can be both figurative or abstract or experimental or conceptual because none of that is antithetical offhand to the creation or the reality that God has spoken. I mean, there's eternal poetry, there's eternal creativity, there's eternal, all of these categories are transcendent. Therefore, that's why we can't not want to do them. Yeah. That's a lot. It is a lot, man. But I mean, go for it, Cody. Yeah, I was just um, thinking that the last bit that you said, it's like if we go back to that picture of us in the dark, breaking things into pieces so we can just slowly throw them into a fire uh, to try to get some some warmth and eventually those things just get burned up and destroyed. Then what you're talking about sounds a lot more like the sun coming out. And then once you actually have that warmth from the sun, that's, that's um, giving you the vitality you couldn't get from this little fire that was causing you to break down everything around you. That's right. Keep throwing the fire. Then suddenly you're free to look at everything else that's around you in the warmth of that sun and the daylight and say, well, I don't have to break this apart anymore. Everything else that's in life, what can it actually be used for now that I don't have to break it down through that sort of worship Yeah, uh, yeah. and just destroy it and crush it and then move to the next thing. That's right. Um, So imagine, imagine for a second, if you, if you put your two hands up and that's you holding your identity and your identity is what you vow, what gives you value, hope, a place, a future relationships and it's dependent upon you holding it up, well, then you actually can't help anybody else. But if you're tired and you put your arms down and your identity is still being upheld and you find out that it's Christ, and not only is it your identity like the way that it, it is, but actually it's a, it's a more substantial identity that he gives you that you don't have to hold, mm-hmm. that he holds for you, that is literal freedom. I don't have to earn my approval anymore. I don't have to prove to people. I can actually... <clears throat> experience forgiveness and therefore be forgiving for the wounds that were enacted against me, no matter how egregious. And I've experienced them mm-hmm. uh, or many people have. Um, it, it literally frees you from that task, which means now you can be purposed mm-hmm. for what you were meant for. Cause you were meant for something. Mm-hmm. You have a purpose. You were not an accident and you were not for a purpose. That means that you're, Humanness, your relationalness, your eyes and your ears, your, your, they were meant for purpose and that purpose is answered in knowing Jesus. And he doesn't make you dumb because he gave you a mind. Even if you find people that are like really anti-intellectual and they say they're Christians, like that's not, that's not the heart of God. But he makes you the kind of intellectual that actually is also able to laugh with joy, hug, love, sacrifice, serve, <clears throat> actually be more creative, not less. Mm-hmm. He fulfills every one of those categories and he fixed the compass. He fixed the compass because the compass that is us is meant to point towards God. Mm -hmm. And then God reflects back to us. And then he navigates our life uh, back on track to be uh, stewards of creation 
So all the people that are worried about the climate, well, there's a reason for that. It's because the climate is significant. It's not going away. We're supposed to steward it. Mm-hmm. That means that there's a, a value to animals. There's a, there's a reason for all of those things. And Christ coheres all of it. And I mean, I'm making axiomatic claims that can be really unpacked. I mean, we're talking about multi-year podcast on just these issues, mm-hmm. you know? So it's not like I'm saying these things quickly and there's a whole bunch of what is, what about that? What about this? Trust mm-hmm. me, I'm telling you there's an the answer to it. And there's smarter people than, than any of us in this room that can speak to it really well. So it's, you know, um, it would be terrible to keep having conversations and never get to a place where, where one of us said something about this mm-hmm. and not that anybody has to agree with us, but I would at least say to you, you can't pick something you've never heard. And you, you know, like you, you, perhaps the hunger you have is, is actually satisfiable through Christ. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's why you're starved and maybe that's why nothing else works. And maybe if Christ intervenes and steps in and starts to clean up your life a little bit and change it and and bring you life, you'll relate differently to all the stuff that is buckling under your, under your worship, including your studio practice, Mm -hmm. you know, including your relationships with like dealers and like. Um, collectors and like everything can be renewed to something so much more. Yeah. So he restores marriages. He restores families. He restores uh, societies. He reconciles people. He's, you know, the Bible says he's like the Lord over everything. And he brings, if you just read the scriptures in the Bible, the old, the new Testament, and you look at him and you look at his character and you look at what he does, look at what he says and what he does, his actions match his words in a way that if it's God, it's the only kind of God you want. You know, you don't want a God that's unloving. Mm-hmm. You know, you want a God that's gentle, but you want a God that's powerful that can calm the storm and protect you. Mm-hmm. you know, so, but even more than that, there's, it's, it's like, this is ultimate reality manifested in a way, revealed mm-hmm. in a way it's knowable relationally. Yeah. It's a staggering proposition. Mm-hmm. Super weird. I'm sure people are freaked out, but uh, we, I would be, we, all of us would be disingenuous if we didn't talk about it at some point. And the thing is, I mean, like, you know, if you're, if you're freaked out by it, like then just measure it against how you're freaked out about things, period. Yeah. I mean, everything we talked about before in the last two, you know, plus episodes of what we've talked about, the, there's plenty to be freaked out about. Yeah. I mean, take your, take your pick. Yeah. Take your pick. Um, and so some of it is like, there's a sniff test mm-hmm. of like, which, which things are, are agreeable to be mm-hmm. freaked out about which, what things in your life are you willing to ask hard questions of and find hard answers and look for solutions, which things in your life are valuable enough where you want them to have meaning and where is that meaning found? Where does it last? Where mm-hmm. does it exist for eternity? Like where th- those, those, these are, these are not some new question, right? This is a human question yeah. since eternity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like all of this stuff is there and it's bound up in this. Um, and it really is one of those like, you know, kind of like old Var Burton moments, right? Where it's like, but you don't take my word for it. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. like, I mean, there's a, there's a history of these ideas. There's a, there's a, there's a gigantic mass, a sea of information and people you can talk to. And there's plenty of stuff out there. So even being yeah. freaked out, like, let's just all agree that, everything we've talked about in this series, like being freaked out is a human condition. Yeah. And, and it's, yeah. And I mean, it's like, we've been pretty consistent all the way through. So it's like, I guess at this point it's like, got to say it. And here's what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is like, so I, I would, a lot of us will make the distinction, you know, that religion is sort of like this idea that you do things to earn God's approval. And I would say also your neighbor's approval. Oh, yeah. So you want to be liked by people and you want, you want God's approval. So you sort of religious doings. So you got to do this in order for God to love you. 
What I'm saying is the gospel is the good news that, that you can't do it, but God did it for you freely and graciously without requirement from you. Mm-hmm. that he does all of it for you and then gives it to you freely. He rescues you. He saves you. If you need to be saved from a river and you can't swim, all you can do is cry out for help. Mm-hmm. And then he helps. He rescues. And so, but it's great. It's by grace. It's like it's given freely. It's mm-hmm. not earned. It's not. Um, and so, you know, if you own a debt you can't pay and someone pays it for you, you're going to want to know that person. Yeah. And if they do it and you didn't do anything to earn it, you didn't even like know. I mean, even more so, let's say you were like at odds with this person. And they still do it for you. That would be a staggering proposition. Yeah. Or if you're at odds with a person and the nature of the debt is something that you're like severely morally implicated in a bad way yeah. that you're in this debt. Yeah. And you're at odds with a person and then that person comes and pays the debt for you. Yeah. And doesn't ask anything back. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and except an offer of an actual relationship. Yeah. And it, what's crazy in that is like, it's like even more, it's like, it's like everything you said. And it's like insane. It's like, so, hey, I've paid your debt and I offer you a new life. I'm adopting you. Mm-hmm. I'm adopting you to my family and you have the same status as me. And I, you know, I want to dwell with you forever mm-hmm. and uh, I'm not going to leave you. And um, the response is uh, gratitude. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you're decimated with humility and gratitude because you're like, I could have never done this. And that is transformational. When you know you don't have to, you're free to grow up into what God has planned for you. Like, and that's what I've experienced is God freed me to begin the the sojourning process of living in community with wise people and new people and and family, working through difficulties, but seeing Christ move in those difficulties and change you to where you just can't stay the same like he 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 meets you where you are, you're at but he doesn't leave you there and so if he meets individuals where they at but he doesn't leave them there then that means he meets all of reality that way that means everything is going somewhere mm-hmm. it's not just individuals it's whole society it's whole whole of reality it's whole of you know the earth mm-hmm. uh and 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 time for him is irrelevant in a way that time you know for us, it's a it, Bible says it's a blink, but it's you know it could feel like forever, it could feel like nothing, but it is it isn't that long, and so um, uh, but things so 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 to say that things are going somewhere, um, and he is the ultimate in humanizing us because he authored us to be human, mm-hmm. so he's not trying to atomize us and break us down. In fact, he was broken down so we didn't have to be. He exchanged his life for ours, you know. Yeah. So he he reverses the process of the way we've been talking about this whole this whole conversation is put on its head. Um, in light of Christ. Yeah, I just, I just think about, um, we, we have the metaphor of just the, the paying of the debt, but you can push that metaphor, and if you do it, you push it actually into the reality of what it seems like happened, which is not just the paying off of a debt, but the taking of a death sentence. Mm-hmm. So like it says uh, somewhere in the Bible that, you know, we all, we all recognize that... Um, a, a really good person might die for one of their friends, but none of us would die for one of our enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you imagine the idea that someone would come and take a death penalty for you that you really like, really earned, like you mm-hmm. deserve it, and someone takes that death penalty how much more would you want to know that person than just someone who paid a really big debt? Mm-hmm. 
But then you have the conundrum, well, I can't know that person now because they just died for me. Mm -hmm. The only way you can know them is if they came back to life. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, And yeah. then, so they take that death penalty, come back to life and say, actually, you can know me and I want to know you. Let's go somewhere. Yeah. And there's no, because we, we live in a time where we crave authenticity. And even though it seems like, you know, individually and personally, and I've, I've really experienced this, there's a deep desire to cover up um, my flaws and the ways that I fail. And I think we've built an entire society out of a deep desire to cover up. Kind yeah, it's of, like a, it's like a, it's a ultimate fear-based yeah, society of covering. Absolutely. Yeah. And we have a deep, deep desire for authenticity and to be known for who we are and not rejected. Um, then I think one of the things that's compelling about what Jesus offers um, is a, the ability to be completely known in all your flaws. So you have the opportunity for real transparency and authenticity. Yeah. And someone who's really, truly willing to accept you. You think if it's God, he knows everything about us. Yeah. It's just part of his being is that he's going to know everything. Mm -hmm. In order to be God, he has to know everything. He knows all actuals, hypotheticals, counterfactuals. Exactly. Going yeah. back to the some of the calling yep. episodes. Yep. Um, By the way, he's the one that's calling you. Yeah. So he's the he's the answer to the calling episode. Like he's the one calling you. If you feel called, it's because he's calling you. He is the outside voice. Yeah, you can't answer a call unless someone is on the other line. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, so, and, and he's and he's um, God is crushed, so you don't have to be like he. So he's you know when you look at the rock star who dies, right? And you you go, well, that's authenticating. Well, Jesus died. That's authenticating. But more than that, he rises, as you said, and he has a resurrection life. That's that's the whole point. Significance of the resurrection. What an incredible way for God to demonstrate and prove the point is to uh, uh, conquer death by rising from it and saying, uh, death has no sting on me, and I defeated death so that you no longer have to be afraid because you've been reconciled to me. All those who look to me and trust and call on my name will be saved mm -hmm. on the strength of who I am, not on the strength of who you are. So, so, and it's not a doings, it's not being a good person. He didn't say all who are good, you know, all who call on me, who, who need me, mm -hmm. I will save. And that's everybody actually is, is what appears to be. Um, and so that's why it's called gospel or good news. Mm -hmm. And it, I mean, metaphysically, there's so much to say about it. It's strange. It's it mm -hmm. really weird. Um, but it does seem like the promise of reconnection with the, the God who made us relieves the pressure of the ticking clock yes he defeats the alligator in the ticking clock yeah which is huge yeah but he doesn't defeat it like in a hocus pocus kind of way he defeats it by showing that it has no binding authority on us so he allows it to take its best bite and he goes through the waters and the leviathan moby dick the alligator his bite is futile to the gracious authority and power of, of the God of the universe, essentially, who comes and who takes on flesh, becomes a human the way you take on clothes almost. Like he becomes, he, he takes it on. Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's one of the things I was thinking about too, is like, you know, when you're there uh, in the garden story, they're naked and ashamed. Unashamed. And, so, and, and they're, well, they're unashamed first, mm -hmm. which is really awesome because that's that sounds great to me. But then they become <laughs> naked and ashamed. And so they have to be covered. Well, Jesus strips us down so that he can cover us in himself. 
and he is willing to be stripped naked. So most of the uh, resurrection paintings or the crucifixion paintings are inaccurate because he was naked. He was stripped full shame. He bore it all. And then he, and I mean, so he, he took on everything mm-hmm. and, and then like gave us everything that he had that uh, isn't owed to us or, or deserved of us. And it's like, what do you do with those riches? What do you do with this new life? And so in, the siren song is a song that sounds beautiful but crashes you on the rocks. The gospel song is a song of new life that, you know, I said all of reality is like an instrument begging to be played mm-hmm. once in a podcast episode. That's what I mean. It's a gospel song that is a chorus that is humming, that is calling everybody to it through creativity, through neighborliness, through life, through trusting Jesus, through the church, uh, which is a people, not a building. And um, uh, through the profession of like, hey, there is good news. There is hope for you. There is satisfaction that will never leave you, forsake you. And there's a reason for your personalness. There's a reason for your love. There's a reason for your pain and your suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, I mean, there really is there's an incredible reason for design. The ultimate designer made you to be a designer and a crafter. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. And it, it like, there really is an answer to it. I mean, we'll have to maybe get into it uh, more later, but um, uh, I don't know. I mean, there's so much we could say. I feel like we have to maybe take a break and let people yeah, let some stuff sit because <laughs> they're probably like, oh, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. You may have already turned off the podcast. I don't know. <laughs> we just couldn't go any further without saying this. Yeah, because um, what you don't want to do is you don't want to leave people in a place where all they're saying is like, oh, great, there's a lot of problems. Yeah. Period. You, you mentioned that that picture, I think it was the last podcast of you, if you promise something to someone, like the dogs being chained up. Yeah, yeah. If you promise something to someone and never relieve them by giving an answer, mm-hmm. it just builds up that anxiety and builds and builds yeah. and turns into aggression yeah, yeah. and it's destructive. It is. Um, and I think there's an idea that um, it would it wouldn't be kind in our conversations to talk about problems in certain ways and really build and build and build that tension. Yeah. And then not at least give a, a where are we coming from? Yeah. Where are we coming from? At least an, an honest, um, uh, plausible, hopefully possibility for a solution for some of the stuff that we've talked about. Yeah. Yeah. There's a reason for it, a purpose. Yeah. And you know, like my hope is that you at least would consider, I mean, you know, listen, this happened organically, like as far as like how, how we find ourselves at this time in life. We've been in with COVID. We've suffered death, sickness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I got like a heart monitor on today. You know what I mean? You just life is fragile. So it's like a certain point where it's like, man, I got to say, say what I believe. We, we got to say what we believe. We got to talk about mm-hmm. this in, in more clear terms and just risk being, you know, misunderstood, disliked, whatever. But you can't pick what you've never heard before. Mm-hmm. And it is a conversation. And all we've done today is initiate the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but we've been initiating the conversation. And also, like, there's a lot in society over the last few years that just call for a civility and conversation where you yeah. can just be open and honest with each other. Yeah. No yeah, matter yeah. what that is. So nothing I've said today changes what we've said before, what we've no. done. I'm st- we're still the same artist. Like, so I'm just saying that. And, and here's the crazy thing. It's like a lot of people have a hard time with disagreement. I don't. I'm good with people disagreeing. I'm good with yeah. people like. I'm not worried about a person cursing in front of me or not. Or all of a sudden people are like, oh, I can't curse in front of me anymore. That's on you. I don't care. Like, yeah, I mean, damn you know it, I mean? come like, have a drink. Yeah. Come have a drink. <laughs> like, like, yeah. People get moral in ways that are kind religious and not anything to do with what I just said or believe or not. Right. You, you know what I'm saying? Or mm-hmm. any of us. So like, um, uh, this gives us the reason for the ecosystem and the reason for um, the value of the material world before you ever make anything out of it. Yeah. It's because it's poetically spoken and upheld. So when you grab dirt, 
that's God's speech. And he made it to you, for you to make something with, to be making with him mm. in a collaborative project. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really staggering implications. Yeah. There's, there's just a reason for it. Yeah. Any confidence that an artist has that there's potential in material Based know, on something. Based on the fact that... It's based that on something. It's based on something. There, yeah. And if if you're willing to entertain the idea that there's a mind behind the world that is so comprehensive that it could plan that almost infinite potential into the material and then create a being that it wants to have a relationship with, a loving, building, generative relationship with, who can unfold the potential of that material. Yeah. It's a pretty beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the big the big elephant in the room is that this sin is not uh, merely like rights and wrongs, but it's a besetting sort of reality state of affairs mm-hmm. that destroys and warps and confuses and confounds and bends everything away from God. Mm-hmm. And so it's a trajectory of um, it's the privation of the good. It's it's the deprivation of relationship with God lands us uh, in rebellion, doing things we shouldn't do in ways that don't work for our good ultimately. And, and so it's more of a, a pervasive state of affairs than, than merely I obeyed some rules or not obeyed some rules. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole discussion, but it's more of the way gravity is on you. Can't see it, but it's on you. Um, but you see its effects and we see the effects of sin and that's what Christ took on. And uh, so anyhow, the prospects are elect- electrifying if you remotely grasp a, even a part of this conversation. Mm-hmm. And uh I think we can leave it here. And if you have questions, you know, yeah, feel free to, you know, uh, reach out. Um, hopefully, you know, not trying to be preachy today, but just just kind of honest talk about it. Yeah, and honestly, everything we yeah. do, it's always a start of a conversation. Yep. Mm-hmm. So don't let it end here. Yeah. So talk to us, ask questions, do we'll whatever. S- yeah, we'll still leave feedback. feedback with you. Yeah, all day, any all day. day. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. not right now. I'm kind of stuffed. But, yeah, I don't feel good. <laughs> but uh, with that being said, uh, thanks so much for hanging around. You were a fantastic audience. We do love you, and we will catch you next time. Peace. You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak, a production of Shaco Art Space. We are an independent, nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life in historic Shaco Bottle.